Um, hello, everybody in uh, Kia Ora. We have more than 300 people registered for today's session. Welcome to you all and uh, thanks for joining us. So in today's webinar, we will talk um, about a new laboratory fatigue relationship um, to better predict uh, the performance of formed bitumen stabilized materials. My name is Ekaterina, I'm a communications officer at Ostroads, and I will be moderating today's session together with one of our presenters, Andrew Papakostas. Um, Andrew will moderate the Q&A at the end uh, of the webinar. First of all, I would like to acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. I pay my respect to all this past, present and emerging. I also acknowledge the Treaty of Waitani and Maori as the original people of New Zealand. A little bit about Austroads. Uh, we are the collective of Australasian transport and traffic agencies, and our focus is to support our member organizations to deliver an improved road transport network. Um, the project that we're focusing on today was delivered under the Transport Infrastructure Program, which is managed by Ross Guppy. A bit, uh, a bit of housekeeping. So our presenters will speak for about 40 minutes and then we will have a Q&A session for 15 minutes. Um, the reports and the slides for today's session can be downloaded from the handout section of your sidebar, which you will find on the right-hand side of your screen. Um, to send us your questions for the Q&A, please use the questions icon on that sidebar. Um, and if your question relates to any particular slide, um, include the number of that slide into your message to help us answer your question as best as we can. Um, also, let us know if you're experiencing any technical problems, but just a quick tip, if you lose sound or your picture freezes, the issue is most likely with your internet connection. So closing your browser and rejoining the session via your email registration usually helps. Um, this session is being recorded and we will let you know when the recording is available on our website. If you listen to podcasts, um, you can also find Ostroads in your podcast app. Um, so our speakers today are Andrew Papakostas, uh, Dr. Nigin Joliju, and Dr. Didier Baudin. Uh, we will first hear from Andrew Papakostas, uh, who will introduce the project uh, and the team. Andrew is the Principal Engineer, Pavements, uh, Geotech and Materials at the Department of Transport Victoria. He has 35 years of experience as a civil engineer in the road building and maintenance industry, specializing in road pavement technology. Andrew is a current member of the Ostroads Pavement Task Force. Our second presenter, uh, Dr. Nigin Joliju. Uh, Nigin is a senior professional leader at the Australian Road Research Board uh, with more than nine years of combined industry research and teaching experience. Nigin has worked on several Ostroads projects focusing on uh, pavement materials characterization, recycled materials, pavement performance and modeling. Uh, for the Q&A, we will be joined by Dr. Didier Badan. Didier is a principal technology leader at the Australian Road Research Board, and his research has focused on the current Ostroads projects, uh, dealing with rat resistance characterization, modeling, and prediction of unbound um, granular materials response. So welcome to all our presenters, and over to you, Andrew. And hello, everyone. Maximizing the use of sustainable rehabilitation treatments was undertaken by the Australian Road Research Board, with technical oversight being provided by Ostroads members from across Australia and New Zealand, including representation from key industry groups. Now, the, the project focused on bone bitumen stabilisation and Bone bitumen stabilisation is a treatment used for the rehabilitation of existing pavements, and it's got a, a long history of successful use. With the, the ability to, to reuse up to 100% of an existing pavement under the right circumstances, it can provide a, a cost-effective and sustainable alternative to other forms of structural rehabilitation treatments. Now, the treatment continues to grow growing you know, in its use across Australia and New Zealand in the rehabilitation space. But in more recent times, we've seen it's being applied in the application of, of new pavement uh, design and construction. However, whilst 
OSTRO to provide clear guidance on how the treatment can be utilised in a pavement rehabilitation design process. No such guidance is provided in the design of new pavements. In addition, recent Ostroads projects of uh, examining foam bitumen stabilised materials has identified an opportunity to improve the design process around the use of those materials, such that uh, pavement designers are given increased guidance in how to design for them both in a rehabilitation and new pavement environment. And with the expectation that once that good guidance is provided, this sustainable treatment is likely to increase in, in its application across Australia and New Zealand. So to, to help us to, to improve the design process, Austroads engaged the Australian Road Research, Research Board to develop a lab-derived fatigue relationship for foam bitumen stabilised materials. And to hear more about that project and its findings, I'm to hand over to Vivian. Thanks, Vivian. Thanks, Andrew and Katerina, and hi everyone, welcome to this webinar. Uh, with the background Andrew provided, uh, the main objective of this research project uh, was to develop a laboratory fatigue relationship to, to predict the performance of foam bitumen stabilized or FBS materials. And why this is important for us, um, according to Astro's Guide to Pavement Technology Part 2, we know that uh, essentially the general form of fatigue relationship, uh, the classic fatigue relationship for asphalt and cemented materials is that the number of cycles to fatigue is directly related to fatigue constant K parameter divided by the tensile strain at the bottom of the layer to the power of a slope for each of these specific materials. Uh, I'm not going to go through the details of these relationships, their design uh, parameters, their shift factors or reliability factors, but what we need to focus here is that we already have these specific fatigue relationships, for example, for uh, the asphalt material, the slope for asphalt based on the shell relationship is 5. For cemented materials, we have an exponent of 12. And each relationship has the fatigue constant K as a function of specific parameters, as you can see in this slide. Uh, but a fatigue relationship specifically developed for foam bitumen stabilized materials is still lacking. And to date, uh, performance relationships related to asphalt have been adopted for destabilization treatment in Australia. According to the Austro's guide AGPT part 5, as an interim method, the fatigue relationship for FBS layer are that used for asphalt fatigue with the appropriate design moduli and volume of bitumen spinder. However, the asphalt fatigue relationship may not correctly reflect the difference perf different performance of FBS materials. So in this project, our main aim was to better understand the fatigue behavior of FBS materials and to subsequently develop a laboratory fatigue relationship to predict the performance of these materials. I should also add that the determination of a laboratory to field shift, uh, field shift factor and reliability factor uh, was not part of the scopes of this research. This research project focused on the evaluation of the lab fatigue performance relationship and the determination of materials parameters that had significant influence on the fatigue performance of FPS mixes. Uh, this project consisted of two main phases. In the first phase, uh, we focused on the lab characterization of FBS materials using indirect tensile modulus and strength tests on 16 mixed combinations. Uh, and then in the second phase that I will discuss later, uh, we focused on the fatigue characterization testing of FBS mixes. Now I talk about the lab testing program of phase one. For the lab testing program of phase one, we selected five different host materials uh, stabilized using a range of binder contents. The selected materials, as you can see here, uh, included three crushed drugs and two recycled blends, one blend of 
reclaimed asphalt pavement wrap and crushed rock and one blend of crushed rock and recycled cement treated crushed rock. Um, I should add that three of the mixes were materials from the ALF trial sections from another Astros project that uh, assessed the performance of in situ FPS materials under full scale accelerated loading using the accelerated loading facility ALF. Uh, and the report of that project was published by Astros just yesterday, so you can download the report from Astros' website later to know the outcome of that project as well. Uh, so the foam bitumen content for our testing, uh, obviously uh, the foam bitumen as the primary binder content ranged between 2% to 4% and hydrated lime uh, that is generally used as the secondary binder content for foam bitumen stabilization in Australia varies from 1% to 2%, making the total 16 combinations uh, for the lab testing in this phase. All the mixed combinations, the materials, initial characterization testing, etc., are detailed in the report if you would uh, like to know more about them. Uh, so the testing program of this phase included Astro's FPS mixed design method on cylindrical specimens to determine the initial modulus, three-day cured and soaked moduli, and um, these were done uh, following the sets of Astro's test method for FPS mixed design. Uh, also, we prepared additional uh, specimens for modulus and strength tests after three day, 28 and 90 days curing time so that to evaluate the longer term effect of binders on the modulus and the strengths. Uh, these were basically a brief summary of the experimental pro program uh, for this stage. And uh, this slide shows some of the photos related to the procedure for material preparation and mixing the uh, material using the Wirtgen laboratory equipment. You see the compacted test cylinders and ITM testing setup and configuration. Uh, but you can find all the detailed step-by-step -step procedure of the testing program in the report. Uh, and just a note, when I say ITM, it refers to indirect tensile modulus and ITS refers to indirect tensile strength. So uh, in the next slides, I might just say ITM and ITS. Now we go to the lab testing results of phase one. Uh, given the webinar presentation time and also given that there are uh, much more to talk on the fatigue testing section in the next phase, uh, I just point out a quick summary of the main indirect tensile testing findings here, but uh, you can find uh, detailed discussions and all the relevant data and the results in the report. Uh, so in summary, we found that the mixes with 2% lime uh, showed a generally higher ITM and ITS for a foam bitumen content of 3% uh, compared to 2% and 4% bitumen. And for the available mixes prepared with 1% lime, the ones with 4% bitumen resulted in a higher ITM and ITS compared to 3%. Um, also, we observed that ITM significantly increased over time, uh, as you can see in the left figure, uh, with the major modulus development observed after the three-day accelerated curing in 40-degree oven uh, due to loss of moisture. But then the rate of increase in ITM reduced over the study time, as you can see in the figure. Uh, similar results were found for ITS, but the increase in ITS during the curing time was less compared to the increase in ITM. So this was a, a quick summary of the results. Uh, also, another importance of the indirect tensile testing for us was that uh, the modulus and strength testing on the cylindrical specimens were considered as part of a screening process for us to select the mixes for the fatigue characterization testing on beam specimens. Um, you can see the 90-day ITS versus ITM of the 16 mixes in this figure. Uh, from these data, we selected eight mixes for fatigue testing. Essentially, we wanted to make sure that a range of modulus and strengths is covered, 
and we were at the time expecting that this process could provide an indication of the contrast in fatigue performance from different mixes so that we could gain a range of fatigue performance which was actually a right approach for us at the end. So laboratory testing program and testing results of phase two. Uh, with the background I uh, provided, I go uh, to the testing program of phase two. And in this table, you see that the eight mixes we selected for uh, our flexural testing program on beam specimens. The mixes basically included all of those five selected host materials, 3% bitumen, 2% lime, um, as the base case for us. And then uh, uh, we uh, changed uh, the binder contents uh, with a varying bitumen content, uh, with the varying foam bitumen content. Actually, one we considered one constant host material uh, for that to help us assess the effect of binder content on the fatigue resistance using the same constant host material. Uh, the testing program included flexural modulus, flexural strengths, and flexural fatigue tests that I will uh, discuss in the next few slides. So, as like any other lab testing, we initially prepared our test specimens, our uh, beams. A step-by-step -step procedure is detailed in the report for mixing, for sample preparation, and how we manufactured and cured the beams in our lab. And all the extensive laboratory experiments of this project was conducted by ARBS Research Laboratory. Uh, and this figure just shows some of the specimen preparation steps. Uh, the mixing moisture content was uh, 70% of standard Proctor OMC uh, of the untreated materials, similar to the Ostrod's mix design method we had for cylinders, and the target density for manufacturing the beams was assumed as 104% uh, MDD uh, standard of treated materials. Uh, we selected that target density actually as a representative of the target field compaction and in the range of road agencies current practice uh, aiming at a compaction between 102 and 106 MDD standard of the treated field material. And I should add that uh, for the three ALF mixes, the target density was equal to ALF FPS trial density. After three days of accelerated curing in the 40-degree oven, uh, we extruded the beams from mold and then we wrapped them to avoid losing moisture and then uh, they were cured for 90 days in the controlled room temperature to be ready for testing. Uh, so basically, we manufactured a set of beams for each mix and then conducted flexural modulus, flexural strengths, and more importantly, fatigue testing on them uh, using our four-point bending test equipment that you can see in this figure. Uh, again, all the test procedures are explained in the report, and I don't want to go into the uh, details of that, but uh, just a few main points to mention here is that um, we performed the fatigue test in the load-controlled mode, so the beams were uh, each mix were tested at different loads or stress levels, and the beams were subjected to uh, sinusoidal loading wave at the load frequency of 10 Hz with no rest period. Uh, and also the test was done at a constant temperature of 20 degrees. And the adopted failure criteria was assumed as a 50% reduction in stiffness. Uh, this table shows the average flexural modulus, FM, uh, as written here, and average flexural strength, FS, of each mix. Uh, the FM in this table are related to the temperature of 20 degree and the frequency of 10 hertz, which was the frequency used for the fatigue testing as well. But the beams were tested at different frequency and the results are provided in the report. Uh, you see that the flexural modulus ranged uh, about 1800 for the granite and argillate materials with 2% foam bitumen uh, to about 3100 
3150 for horn fence material. Um, and this figure shows uh, that the increase in the flexural modulus uh, generally resulted in the increase in flexural strength, showing the direct trend between these two parameters. However, it's interesting to see that the recycled blend mixes, mixes prepared with the wrap and the previously cement-treated materials, appear to develop higher flexural strengths compared uh, with the mixes prepared from natural crushed rocks uh, with the same binder content of 3% lime. So we also provided the relationship between FS and FM, excluding those two blends as well. Also, uh, we investigated the potential correlation between ITM, the mixed design values, and flexural modulus. And why we did that? Uh, the potential relationship between the two can essentially help us link the two parameters for the fatigue life analysis and fatigue relationship that I will talk about later. Uh, but here, we first needed to develop a procedure to uh, correct the FM flexural modulus data for the density of the mixed design cylinders to have comparable moduli data. Uh, the relevant data and process for each individual mix are detailed in the report, but if we consider the average values from different mixes, we found that a 1% decrease in density in FBS materials can result in about 5% increase in flexural modulus. And I should add that uh, we also found that uh, this average value for ITM is 11%, uh, meaning that ITM increased by about 11% for a 1% increase in dry density. So based on these findings, we corrected the flexural moduli, moduli for the density of mixed design cylinders. And then uh, these two figures uh, show that the corrected FM versus uh, three-day, the relationship uh, between the corrected FM versus the three-day dry and soaked ITM from the mixed design values. Uh, and we found that approximately the corrected FM is about 55% uh, of the three-day cure dry uh, mixed design ITM, except for the two mixes like the wrap blend that showed a higher ratio. I also get back to this finding at the end of the presentation as how we can actually use these findings. So now I talk about the fatigue testing results section. Uh, this figure shows the fatigue lives of all tested mixes using the strain-based approach, life versus tensile strain, the mix-specific relationships. Uh, you can see the general form of the fatigue relationship based on the maximum tensile strain uh, that I pointed out at the start of the presentation. Uh, the fatigue data measured in the laboratory were fitted to this equation. Um, and this table shows the strain-based fatigue parameters, including the fatigue constant K, the slope, and also the estimated strain at the adopted fatigue life of 7 by 10 to the power of 5. Uh, so from these results, you can see that horn fence mix showed the longest fatigue life compared to other tested mixes, followed by 50% wrap blend. And the horn, the horn fence, um, was the material, uh, what's the mix that showed the highest FM and ITM and also was the material with the highest fines content compared to other materials as well. Also, interestingly, you can see that the mix with 50% wrap uh, showed a better fatigue resistance compared to 100% granite uh, and the CT blend and also other mixes. And this can be due to the contribution and better bonding of the aged bitumen from the 50% wrap fraction in this mix. And so this finding also supports the use of wrap in the design of foam bitumen as stabilized pavements. Uh, the other interesting thing here is that uh, the material with 2% uh, bitumen, 2% lime clearly resulted in the lowest fatigue resistance compared to other mixes. And another important thing here is that we uh, found that the average strain damage exponent of the eight tested mixes is equal to 7.8. That is unlike the asphalt fatigue relationship with the exponent of five. 
excuse me. And similar fatigue analysis was done using the stress-based approach as shown in this figure. The stress-based fatigue parameters, including the fatigue constant K, the slope, and also the estimated stress at the adopted fatigue life of seven uh, by 10 to the power of five cycles are shown in this table. But uh, today, considering the time frame for the webinar, I will focus on the strain-based analysis and the, um, the associated findings for the strain-based, but similar way of analysis and developments were done for the stress-based approach for in this project. Okay, so after we obtained the mix-specific fatigue relationship for tested mixes, uh, we looked at the combined results. The initial important step for us was to understand whether the fatigue performance variation between different tested mixes can be explained by some of the material's properties, for example, by materials flexural modulus, flexural strength, strain at break or mixed properties, volume of bitumen, air void, lime content, and other properties. So we investigated the possible link between the laboratory fatigue performance of FPS mixes and each of these parameters that I will discuss in the next few slides. Uh, I should add that we investigated all of these different parameters, but today I just want to talk about the ones that we found had a correlation with fatigue life. Uh, and as I said, we undertook this assessment using both stress-based and strain-based, but as I said earlier for this presentation, I just focus on the strain-based results. So fatigue life depends on flexural modulus. Uh, this figure shows the variation of estimated strain at fatigue life of 7 by 10 to the power of 5 cycles with flexural modulus. It shows um, the ability of flexural modulus in explaining the variation in fatigue life between different tested FPS mixes. We see that the mix with a higher flexural modulus tends to have a higher resistance to fatigue as well, a direct relationship between the two. And we also assess the fatigue life dependence uh, on flexural strength, as shown in this figure. Uh, we found that the fatigue performance of FPS mixes is also related to flexural strength and that the mixes with higher FS generally had larger strain at a given fatigue life. However, we should note that this result was somehow expected because earlier in the slides, uh, we showed the general direct relationship between FM and FS and that the effect of the two parameters uh, might not be independent. At the next stage to better assess the effect of foam bitumen and lime content on the fatigue life of uh, different FPS mixes, we considered the data from a constant host material having different binder contents. The granite and argillite material that was tested uh, using four different combinations of binders. Uh, as you can see in the left figure, um, the mix with 4% bitumen with the presence of a higher amount of bitumen showed the longest fatigue life and the mix with 2% foam bitumen showed the lowest resistance to fatigue. Also, we found that the mixes with 3% foam bitumen but having different lime contents of 1% and 2% resulted in similar fatigue performance, essentially meaning that for these two available mixes, the change in lime from 1% to 2% uh, didn't significantly impact the fatigue resistance. Uh, and the right figure also similarly shows the volume of bitumen, the effect of volume of bitumen on fatigue life. So uh, from these tested mixes, we see that the mix with a higher VB resulted in a higher resistance to fatigue. The results from this section highlight the importance of volume of bitumen on the fatigue performance of FPS materials for our future uh, model development. Uh, now I want to talk about the development of laboratory fatigue relationship for 
FBS material. So uh, we wanted to develop a new performance relationship that can reliably provide a way for us to predict the fatigue performance of FBS material. So the first step was to ensure that we have all the influencing factors in the model, uh, like which parameters had a contribution uh, to FBS fatigue life. Uh, these were basically the results I discussed in the last few slides. We conducted extensive regression analysis using different parameters different parameter combinations and at the end based on some criteria selected a set of parameters for the development of laboratory fatigue relationship as you can see here flexural modulus uh, ratio of flexural strength to flexural modulus and uh, volume of binder vb uh, i just want to add that during the model development uh, and the regression analysis process we did consider other parameters as well to assess their inclusion in the model and whether they can assist with the prediction such as strain at break from the flexural strength test, ratio of flexural strength to strain at break or uh, other mixed properties, uh, plasticity index, double weighted plasticity index, fines content uh, or like air words and other parameters uh, that are discussed in the report but ended up having these three parameters in our model. Uh, then we use the general strain-based fatigue relationship as I discussed before and took into account those parameters in the equation. Basically fatigue constant k as a function of those parameters. Also we adopted the average strain damage exponent from the lab fatigue measurements which was 7.8 uh, as a slope for this relationship and uh, based on the regression analysis the resulting relationship we achieved is shown in this slide. Uh, similar procedures and criteria were considered for the stress-based model and you can see the stress-based relationship here and uh, you can find more information about the stress-based model in the, in the report. Okay, so in the next step, uh, we wanted to assess the capability of the developed relationship in predicting the fatigue life of FPS mixes. So um, the left figure shows the measured and predicted fatigue life of all the studied specimens from all the mixes, and the right figure shows the lab measured fatigue life. The lab ones are shown with the markers and the life predictions using the developed model shown as the lines in the this is fatigue versus uh, tensile strain these results show that there is a general acceptable conformity between the predicted fatigue life and the laboratory measured life and we can see that the relative ranking of different materials in terms of the fatigue performance is generally consistent with the predicted, between the predicted and uh, measured data actually using the, the strain-based relationship. Also, you can uh, see the uh, ability of the model in predicting the fatigue performance of the mixes with uh, varying bitumen content and actually how well it can differentiate between those mixes with different bitumen content. Again, similar comparisons were made for the stress-based analysis, uh, but the main finding from that is that there is an overall lower prediction quality for the stress-based relationship with the lower R square and higher RMSE root mean square error compared to the strain-based model. However, the predicted fatigue life uh, with a stress-based relationship is still in reasonable agreement with the measured life with some except exceptions for example for two mixes. Another interesting part in our project was that uh, we undertook a comparison between the developed FBS fatigue relationship in this project and the asphalt lab fatigue relationship. 
So we first uh, predicted the fatigue life of the mixes using the well-known shell asphalt lab fatigue relationship using the actual measured flexural modulus and volume of binder for each FPS mix. And for that, we use the shell lab relationship, obviously, without those shift factors or reliability factors in the asteroids guide. Uh, and before showing the graphs and the comparisons, um, here, uh, from the equation itself, we can see that, as I discussed before, the strain damage exponent in the developed model is 7.8, that is very different from the exponents for asphalt or cemented materials for which um, the fatigue life is related to the fifths and twelfths power of a strain. Also, another important point in the, in the equations is the opposite effect of modulus on the fatigue performance between the developed relationship and the shell asphalt lab fatigue relationship. So the fatigue performance for FPS materials is directly related to the material's flexural moduli, so that the mix with higher flexural modulus tended to have a higher resistance to fatigue for a given strain level. So uh, the comparison, this figure shows the fatigue life predictions using the developed FPS fatigue relationship shows as the line and the shell asphalt lab fatigue relationship uh, shown with the dashed lines. Uh, as you can see, the results clearly showed that the predictions from the shell asphalt lab fatigue relationship is not in agreement with the measured lab data or with the predictions using the new model and that the shell relationship cannot rank materials correctly. For example, I have a highlighted horn face material here that had the highest measured flexural modulus. It is placed among the lowest ranked material in terms of resistance to fatigue using the shell lab relationship because of basically the reverse correlation of E and fatigue life in that relationship. While in reality, horn face had the highest resistance to fatigue in our lab testing. Another thing to pay attention is the predictions for the mix with 4% bitumen. Uh, you see that the mix with 4% bitumen is showing the highest fatigue life using the prediction from the shell lab relationship. And that is because of the higher exponent of VB in the shell model compared to the developed model. Also, uh, as the new model includes flexural strengths, uh, it can correctly differentiate the fatigue life of the mixes that have different strength values. But obviously, this is not the case for the asphalt material and the shell lab model uh, can, uh, cannot capture uh, the differences between material, uh, materials flexural strengths. Uh, this is particle, particularly the case between uh, the um, mixes, for example, the wrap blend and granite material in this figure. So these were our main findings. Uh, and as a summary, uh, we showed that the average strain damage exponent is seven for FPS materials is 7.8, different from the current assumptions. Uh, we found that Unlike the asphalt fatigue relationship, the fatigue performance of FPS materials is directly related to materials flexural moduli, uh, and also the fatigue performance is also influenced by the flexural strengths. Uh, the results highlighted the importance of bitumen content on the fatigue performance, and that uh, the volume of bitumen can play a role in explaining the variation in fatigue life between different mixes. Uh, and uh, we achieved an improved understanding of the fatigue behavior of FPS materials. And using the assessed contributing parameters, we developed a new lab fatigue relationship. And the constant K parameter in this relationship as, is as a function of those parameters. Uh, we found an acceptable agreement between the predicted and laboratory measured fatigue life from the developed strain-based relationship. 
the prediction quality from the stress-based uh, model was lower with a slightly higher RMSC and lower R square. However, uh, the predicted life uh, from stress-based analysis was still in reasonable agreement with the FPS measured fatigue life. Um, other things, the uh, proposed relationship is uh, based on the 90-day flexural modulus of beams and um, given the possibility of determining the design modulus for using uh, FBS thickness design from the 90-day FM in the future rather than the current method of using 3-day cured soaked moduli, um, a relationship was presented to estimate the 90-day FM value from the mixed design three-day cured uh, uh, moduli uh, and a relationship was also derived between FM and FS. Uh, we also found a significant difference between the life prediction using the lab hash relationship and the FPS measured fatigue life, which reinforced the need to improve the current household FPS material thickness design method. Uh, and finally, this project developed a new lab fatigue relationship for FPS materials. The development of laboratory to field shift factor would be required to appropriately predict the in-service fatigue life by relating the developed relationship in this project to in-service fatigue life. And so this now completes the presentation and back to you, Andrew, for the questions. Thanks, Dean. And I'll now ask uh, Didier if uh, Didier can come online as well. and. Uh, participating in this Q&A session. Um, again, the first uh, couple of questions I've got, I think relates to the differences in practices between Australia and New Zealand with regards to the secondary binder. We, in Australia, we use lime, and I believe in New, New Zealand, cement is used. Why did we settle on lime for this particular project? Um, yeah, as... Uh you said in Australia, it's uh, generally the lime, hydrated lime is used as the secondary binder. And I think in New Zealand, it's, uh, cement is more used. And the scope of this project was to use uh, hydrated lime, lime as the secondary binder for our testing program. So I would say that uh, the relationships and the analysis that are presented uh, is basically based on the hydrated lime as the secondary binder and might not be applicable to uh, the FBS materials with cement. So, yeah, that I hope. If and you, I, yeah. Yeah, no, I, and I believe, again, you know, some of the extra, Australian experience with using cement as a secondary binder, we, we saw evidence of of what appeared to be shrinkage type cracking that um, yeah. um, made a strain use of the treatment move towards towards lime. Um, yes. Another question relates to form fills, Nivin. Um, the question is, there appears to be a marked difference between the form fills and other materials and other blends. Um, was there a marked difference in regards to the grading of the form fills materials as opposed to the other materials? Yes, Hornfels showed. Uh, I'm sorry. Yes, so Hornfels showed uh, a better fatigue resistance compared to other materials. And if uh, we want to see what what's the difference between this material and others, uh, was the fines content like the different grading in this material. Hornfels had the highest fines content. Uh, when I say fines content, I mean uh, fines passing 75 micron sieve. Uh, which was about 13, uh, very higher than the other materials. So uh, this uh, made us think that fines content might also be a very influencing factor uh, affecting the fatigue performance of materials. Uh, so even for this particular thing, we 
in the appendix of the report, we presented an additional relationship, including fines content as well. Uh, you can find the relationship and all of those things in the report in detail, but uh, because we basically didn't have a very wide range of fines content, uh, we said that this might be uh, like need more confirmation, but based on what we found um, is that even including fines content could result in better predictions. We, we had a higher R-square, lower RMSE indicating that the model is working well, better than we had fines content. But yeah, so that, that might be the main contributing factor. And if you want, Didier or Andrew want to add anything. Yeah, there was also um, a bit more plasticity in this mix as well, as far as I remember. Slightly more plastic um, the onsoils compared to the other host material which were tested. Uh, might have contributed as well to, to increase um, the strength due to um, the polyrhythmic actions of line combined with uh, the fine of the material. Yes, yeah, the plasticity index was 11 for Hornfels, which was uh, very higher than, uh, higher compared to other materials. There's a, a couple of questions now speculating what the, the impact of the newly derived laboratory fatigue relationship would have on, on thickness design. Now, you, you may mention of that the relationship is lab-based, we still need to develop um, lab to field shift factors, but are you able to speculate on what impact this relationship would have on thickness design? Uh, yes, one part is basically the shift factor that this is, uh, as you mentioned, that this is the relationship we developed for like based on the lab based analysis and um, a shift calibration and a uh, lab to field shift factor is required. Uh, so, uh, and the other thing for the thickness design is uh, the other factor is design moduli. Uh, that is an important factor. So, based on uh, current interim method, we have the three day so indirect tensile moduli from the mixed design as the design moduli using that that, be, that is used in the asphalt fatigue relationship so these two parameters both having an uh, shift factor added into this model and uh, a new definition of design moduli for this relationship that can be the flexural modulus uh, so the design modulus can be basically based on the findings of both this project and the other project can be uh, estimated from the flexural modulus of beams uh, 90 day cured uh, can be uh, the design modulus in our design method or it can be also estimated from the mixed design values as i said in uh, one of the slides to be estimated uh, from the mixed design values. And um, maybe it's good that I mention uh, that uh, based on the ALF uh, findings, the report, uh, it was shown that the flexural modulus of uh, the beams, 90 days cured beams, were very close to uh, the back calculated moduli in the field. Uh, around like after three months to four months. So this is promising to say that we can um, somehow change our definition for the design modulus in the thickness design method as well. So yeah, but and Didier, I think you might want to add something as well because it somehow relates to the other project as well. I think we don't have the answer to this question yet. Um, what, um, we know at this stage is that uh, the current process um, was uh, demonstrated to give, good, to give a good outcome and that has been demonstrated through field trials from a previous project at TT1825 and we can refer to that. So, and there are the, the validation which we, 
we would uh, we could be using as well to calibrate um, the lab configuration uh, chip through a shift factor um, to uh, fill performance. So in the range of uh, pavement, uh, as uh, as stated uh, during this field trial, we would expect to have uh, uh, the same range of thicknesses. However, uh, when we deviate from this range or with the change in the exponent in the relationship, etc., it might differ a little bit, but that's a bit early to see what the actual impact is. And uh, the, the, there will be ongoing research uh, to, to, to go to the what the implementation, the lab uh, relationship to an in-service relationship or thickness design. Thank you. Next question relates to, and again, you, you indicated that the, the effect of, of lime, whether it be 1% or 2%, the effect of, of lime on fatigue performance, it seemed to have a little effect. Can you explain why that's the case? Uh, yes, uh, we tested, the thing is that we tested only two mixes with different lime contents, 1% uh, lime content and 2% lime content for the granite and argillite. Uh, and based on these two mixes, we found that basically the fatigue resistance didn't uh, change uh, between the, for the change of lime content. Uh, so if we we cannot generalize maybe this for other lime contents maybe or other mixed types or mixes with different grading, uh, but in this range, like from one percent to two percent, for that particular mix, we didn't see any differences. We did notice uh, the change in in direct tensile moduli. Uh, that the mix with 2% lime showed the, showed higher indirect tensile modulus and strengths compared to 1% lime, uh, and even slight differences uh, in flexural modulus, but no difference was found uh, in terms of the fatigue resistance. And it might not be the case, as I said, if we have, for example, cement or like other uh, contents of lime or you know, other binder contents, yeah. Thank you. Next question is half statement, half question. The statement relates to the the appropriateness of the four-point bending fatigue test and that it may not actually reflect your conditions. And the uh, the, um, the comment relates that um, it may be an inappropriate um, means by which, which to assess the fatigue life of bone between stabilised materials. Um, given that you need to take into account the conditions of continuous support in the field. So have you got any general comment about the appropriateness of the four-point bending test in assessing fatigue of bone bitumen stabilised materials as opposed to other, other techniques? Yeah, I think, yeah, that's a general question because basically in the lab, we are trying to simulate the field conditions as much as possible. And when we want to assess the, for example, flexural fatigue performance of samples, uh, like we have other options in direct tensile testing to assess the, the fatigue testing or this four-point bending test, but generally it's accepted that the four-point bending test is more appropriate compared to indirect tensile testing because it uh, generally provides a, a uniform zone of stress concentration in the central uh, part of the beam. So it somehow uh, can, the beam can be uh, failed basically uh, within the actual weaker part of the uh, beam, um, if I say like compared to other testing methods. But yeah, so in the lab te testing, we have all these limitations and everything, but this is like accepted that through the lab testing, we can, we try to understand the actual behavior of the materials as much as possible, but we have like if we compare to accelerated loading facility, then yes, obviously accelerated loading facility 
uh, is simulating the actual field conditions. We have the field trials as uh, the other project that we had for bomb bitumen stabilized material, Ostrods, another project. Uh, but yeah, that's the general question. I hope I answered this question. Thanks, Didier. Next question, I think. Didier, you had a comment, Didier? I might uh, just add that uh, for the purpose of the exercise here, it was to um, to break through uh, what are the fundamental parameters which uh, had an impact on the fatigue performance. So as Negin explained, it's, uh, it's never perfect between the field and the lab, but as uh, feeling the purpose of identifying the fundamental parameters which play a role in the fatigue performance, it, it, it fills this purpose. Okay. Uh, next question, I think, for you, Didier, but Megan, you can also comment. Didier, you, you also uh, recently um, completed a, a, a detailed, um, extensive project looking at the accelerated loading of uh, various foam bitumen stabilised materials and looking at the fatigue performance. Um, the question relates, um, and based on your experience, what do you see as the primary cause of failure or primary form of failure in a foam bitumen stabilised pavement? Is it rutting or is it fatigue? Um. From, from my experience and what we've noticed in uh, recent years uh, through the research project looking at uh, the performance of foam bitumen stabilized material, um, it doesn't appear that uh, rutting is a, is a major um, failure mechanism. And having said that, it's uh, within the context of the current mixed design and um, the current binder content range, uh, which are used, uh, mostly uh, talking about the Australian context here, um, and that has been uh, demonstrated through uh, accelerated loading, where we tested different um, materials and uh, early age trafficking, so to see how it could, um, how the curing time is important. Uh, before opening to traffic, so it was found that uh, even after after sprayed sealing, it was uh, it was good to, to be to be trafficked, uh, making sure it's protected by the sprayed sealing. Um, some uh, problem with uh, high binder content when uh, unexpected um, uh, pat astral patches had been found, so very high uh, binder content had been uh, found in the, through field trials, but um, when the mix uh, is uh, like we tested up to 50% uh, with blended with a crushed rock, uh, didn't show um, a rutting failure at high temperature due to uh, the incorporation of rap. So when it's reasonable, uh, let's say up to 50%, which is already quite high rate, uh, we didn't, uh, the result didn't show a, a problem with the rutting performance. And that, that, that has been uh, under indoors uh, condition and also outdoors during the, the most recently completed trial. When it comes to uh, fatigue performance, uh, so there was a, a second stage of the project TT2046, specifically looking at the um, fatigue performance or fatigue tracking of these mixes and um, one of the challenges been that we didn't observe much of the of surface cracking and uh, we had to rely on uh, uh, the interpretation of the modulus uh, decrease between um, the wheel path where damage occurred and uh, the material outside the wheel path. So a modulus ratio to express uh, the, the amount of, uh, of uh, fatigue damage. But uh, by coupling uh, information between um, um, a falling weight deflectometer modulus ratios and also cores uh, sample in the wheel path and outside the wheel path, we, we sort of uh, uh, assessed the, the damage due to microcracking in the material, and um, 
and so quantify uh, the, the, the fatigue damage for these three materials. Uh, compared to what would have been predicted by design method, uh, the, future, the, the payment and health sort of outperform what uh, would have been predicted by the, the design method. But having said that, the design method is is designed for a certain level of probability and not to to predict uh, the life of a, a certain tribe. Uh, the what really confirmed the fatigue mechanism as being a, a major distress mechanism were, were the field trials done um, in Victoria and in South Wales in particular, where uh, under design pavement has been placed and um, really uh, 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 close monitoring has demonstrated uh, uh, butter up cracking through this pavement. And I think when was in Victoria, Andrew, and you can remember yeah, seeing these, uh, and they are well documented in 20, uh, the project 1825 to 1825. And that has been the, the ground which has led to further work in that space, uh, which has led to the ELF trial and also the project uh, Negin is presenting today. Thank you, Didier. Um, and again, a question relating to accelerated curing. You use accelerated curing in the characterization of bone between stabilized materials. What's the relationship between the accelerated curing that we do in the lab as opposed to the actual curing that we might get in the field? Uh, yes, that, that comes to uh, somehow the comparison of the data we had in the lab with the uh, field from the other projects, the, for example, by calculated moduli from uh, the cores or the or the measured data from the cores taken from the fields. So basically, uh, the indirect tensile moduli, the mixed design data uh, after the three-day accelerated curing was about, if I'm not right, Didier, please correct me, I think it was around uh, three to five months, uh, approximately, uh, to the actual field uh, data. But Didier, if I, can you correct me if I'm not right, the, comp the data from the lab and the cured? Uh, yeah, that's what we found on the, yeah, the matter which has been tested in the earth. So uh, studying the, the actual effect of um, curing method on uh, moduli or fatigue performance was not really part of the scope. It's a study by itself, but we stuck to uh, the process which is used in mixed design, the accelerated curing of three days um, at 40 degrees. And in addition to that, monitored the more long-term impact through uh, measurement at 90 days and uh, 28 days in between for for uh, Marshall compacted cylindrical specimens. Early on in the project, uh, also we monitored the, the moduli of uh, B, the modulus of beans with time uh, to see what would be something uh, reasonable in terms of the stabilization of the, the modulus with time. So through uh, a drying of the specimens through uh, uh, event uh, through re chemical reactions of the binders, etc. And uh, this has been done for up to three months, and it it, saw, it showed some stabilization of the modulus of these beams, and uh, that uh, complemented by the, what we observed under the ALF trial, where we monitored deflection of the the test pavement uh, for three months and back calculated moduli and detection value showed some stabilization. Uh, at this point in time, we, we decided with the project working group that 90 days was a, a realistic uh, curing time. And uh, to better reflect the, the, the field condition, we also decided to, to seal to seal the, the specimen to to make them like a, having an equilibrium, moisture equilibrium with the surrounding, somebody through the ceiling, glad, glad, glad wrap 
um, film applied uh, around this specimen to better reflect uh, uh, field conditions. Uh, having said that, uh, later down the track, we monitor the aging uh, on the ARP uh, site for longer times and uh, found that uh, some aging expand, extended uh, beyond uh, 90 days and can go for years depending on the nature of the material. So it's, uh, we are uh, aiming at a moving target there by uh, adding a single time for or curing in the laboratory. I might um, bring the questions to the close. There's a few there to be answered and we'll follow up on those uh, at, a, at a later stage. So thank you, Nadine. Thank you, Didier. And over from Sakyu, Ekaterina. Thanks so much, everybody. Um, great presentation and thanks, Andrew, for moderating. Yes, we uh, have a few questions left and we will prepare a written response and email it to everybody after the session. Um, and as you can see on the screen, uh, we have a number of webinars coming up. Um, please visit our website uh, for more information and to register. And you can also subscribe to our uh, monthly newsletter. Um, and as usual, after we close out today's session, a questionnaire will pop up on your screen. Um, just take a couple of minutes, um, give us your feedback. Uh, it really helps us to know what you liked, what you didn't like, and what suggestions you have for future webinars. Um, once again, today's session is being recorded and we will send you the link to the recording when it's published on our website. Thanks again, everybody. Um, stay well and safe and enjoy the rest of your day. See you next time.